0: 11, John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say?
1: A young woman sat at the end of the pew three rows from the front of the auditorium but while she sat there physically her mind was miles away it had been 24 years since she had met the man who was responsible for her being there now in church although at times in her life that would have been the last place she could have imagined being those had been 24 long years she shook her head at the unbelievable rate of the passing of time. And then as she began to recollect what some of those years had represented, there was a smile that played on her lips. Her hair was now flecked with gray. Crow's feet wrinkles creased the skin at the corners of her eyes. Her back was now bent. Her pace was slow. But in reality, she was more beautiful than ever before. Despite her aging exterior, she had a young heart and a happy heart that expressed itself to anyone who was nearby in a brilliant smile. She was roused from her reflection as she sat there in that pew by the sound of, of shuffling feet. The preacher had taken his place in the pulpit behind the podium. He had a letter, he said, that he wanted to read that was from Paul the Apostle, and he wanted to read a paragraph or two from it. He fished his glasses from the inside coat pocket Perched them on the bridge of his nose. And with a rather dramatic flair, he opened the letter and he began to read. And what he read was, don't fool yourselves. Those who live immoral lives, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, and homosexuals will have no share in his kingdom. Neither will thieves or greedy people or drunkards or slanderers or robbers. He then paused. He peered at the audience over the top of his glasses and he continued reading. There was a time when some of you... Were just like that. But now you, your sins are washed away. And you are set apart for God and you have been, he has accepted you because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God and for what he has done for you. That, of course, is 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. And those particular words really resonated in the mind of that woman who was sitting there that day. And not just in her mind, but also in her soul. There was a time when, Paul said, there was a time when you were just like that. She sighed. Because before she had met this man all these years ago, the one that they refer to sometimes as simply the teacher, her life had been a blur of one-night stands. Each had whispered to her insecurity. Words were spoken that were empty And never, ever sincere. Promises were made that were never kept. She'd been an easy target. Because here she was living in the first century world. And yet still, like many modern people, looking for love in all the wrong places. But with every encounter, her loneliness only deepened. One of the three things she came to think about herself back then would eventually be her fate. Either suicide, she would just end it all and then end, bring an end to that meaningless cycle of emptiness in her life, or maybe wind up on the psych ward somewhere, or she would finally sink into a depravity that would just turn her heart to stone, and she would never be responsive to any, anything or anyone, and especially God's call. Both a shudder and a smile possessed her as she sat in the church pew that day. The shudder came as she recalled the most expl- unpleasant experience that she had ever had. But then the smile came because she began to think about the most pleasant man she had ever met. She remembers the day dipped vividly as if it were yesterday. As the sun's first rays had streaked the eastern sky, those men had barged into her bedroom. Pulling her from her bed, they hauled her into the street. As she tried to cover her nakedness by a, a gown that she grabbed from the bottom of the bed, they had stormed through the streets, crashed through the crowds, dragging her, Dragging her to her appointment with death. Charging through the doors and into the courtyard. They had shoved her to the floor at the feet of this teacher. They practically yelled at the man. We caught her. We caught her in bed with her neighbor's husband and the law says to stone her. But we're here to ask, what do you say? Nothing. That's what he had to say. Absolutely nothing a zero with all the edges shaved off. He said nothing. Instead, he stooped down and began to write with his finger in the dirt. Annoyed by his silence, those men pressed him, What do you say? And they asked again, this time with a more demanding tone. And slowly he stood, and distinctly he spoke, Let the one among you who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped. And again, he wrote something in the dirt. One after another, those men stooped too. But it wasn't to scribble anything in the dirt. It was to lay their rocks back down. One by one, from oldest to youngest, the Bible says, they edged themselves as unceremoniously as possible to the door. And when the teacher looked up, the crowd had dwindled to just two people. This man, the teacher, and The woman who was the accused and so he asked this woman where are they has there no one condemned you and her reply was simple and to the point she stated the obvious she said no one sir neither do i go now and leave your life of sin how many times have we read this passage how many times have we read this story how many times has it impressed our hearts with the forgiving nature of God, and even in sins, as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we feel like we've done the unthinkable, even when we have been taken up by the kind of lifestyle that this woman represented? What had begun as the darkest day in her life, in actuality, became the brightest. And now, present day, she sat there in that church pew, three rows from the front, and she began to think, He gave me a new life. He knew my sin. But he was the first person I ever met who saw my life as an unfinished story. And he gave me a clean page upon which to begin to write the next chapter. I'll tell you folks something. Whenever I read this passage, I'm always, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but I'm shocked. I'm uncomfortable. And I'm surprised at how this story turns out. And I'll also have to tell you that the minutes that heaven's gates are open for me, and when I walk through those gates by the mercy of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, I intend to go looking for that lady because I've got some questions for her. And these are questions that have gnawed at me for many, many years of Bible study. I want to know, what what did Jesus write in the dirt have you ever wondered that? What, what did Jesus write in the dirt that day? Now, he could have been, as some people have speculated, just doodling to, to buy some time. That is one possibility. But let me give you my best guess. I think he was writing something that he wanted her accusers to see. Maybe he was countering their question with one of his own, something along the lines of, why was she brought here alone? Why didn't you bring the man? After all, it takes two to commit adultery. Or, or maybe he was making a record of the dirt in the dirt of the sins of her accusers and, and forcing them to face their own less than laudable lives and their own lusts and their own hypocrisy. And as we read this story in Scripture, we have to ask ourselves some questions. Now, these questions are personal, so it may make you a little uncomfortable. But as we read this story and we try to find ourselves reflected somewhere in this biblical account because God put it there. And the Holy Spirit inspired for it to be there for a reason. We have to ask ourselves some questions like, well, I've never done what she's done, but have I ever wanted to? You haven't slept with your neighbor's wife or husband, but have you ever lusted after them in your heart? You see, these men, these indignant accusers that swaggered into the temple and, and, and the first thing they out of their mouths was quoting the law. The law says to stone her. They were very adamant about that. And from a purely legal point of view, they were, of course, absolutely correct. And Jesus never denied what the law said about the matter. But with 15 words in this text, he qualified the critics. Watch this now. Let the one among you who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. He forced them. And let's face it, he forces us to look at the law in the mirror of morality. He was saying to those men, you want to kill her? Well, you would be judicially justified in doing that. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you morally qualified to do that? Your hands may be clean, but the follow-up question is, is your heart also clean? Are you fit to judge this woman? You're ready to pick up stones and kill her. Well, go ahead. Stone her. But you need to put your best man forward. And by that, I mean the man who has never sinned. He needs to be the one who throws the first rock. Now, let me ask you another question. Does that account make you as uncomfortable as it makes me? You see, they had the goods on that woman. And I've passed judgment with far less with flimsy evidence, with suspect sources, with callous innuendo. In the wake of office or even church gossip lie the bleach bones of wrecked reputations and ruined relationships. We're quick to judge, oftentimes just as these men were. But what we ought to focus on is not necessarily the negative in the passage. We need to focus on the positive. And that's when Jesus said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone out here. Here were men who were more than willing to take this woman's life because of her very serious infraction of the law. But then Jesus steps into the picture. And everything changes. Aren't you glad this passage is in the Bible? Aren't you glad that we get this insight not only into the mind but into the heart of God. Aren't you glad that when just like this woman, you and I deserve to die because of our sin, Jesus steps in and says, your life is an unfinished story. Let me give you a new page. Let's start all over. And Jesus would eventually die for that woman. and hang on the cross, shed his blood for not only her sins, but for the sins, John says, 1 John 2, verse 2, of the entire world. And that incorporates you and me. Jesus looks at us differently than judicial men look at us. And and we're glad that he does. What Jesus said about those men, or at least men like them, in Matthew chapter 23 was certainly to the point. Before we quit, let me share a couple of verses from Matthew 23, starting with verse 27. Woe unto you Pharisees and you religious leaders! You are like beautiful mausoleums. Even if you had never read that passage before, I think when you get to that point, you realize this is not a compliment. When you call someone, you're like an empty or whitewashed mausoleum That's probably not going to be good. And then he continues with more detail. He said, you're full of dead men's bones and of foulness and corruption. And you try to look like saintly men. But underneath those pious robes of yours, your hearts are besmirched with every sort of hypocrisy and sin. Jesus spoke to those Pharisees like no one had ever spoken to them before. And it was because of the reality of sin in their own lives that they could not, or maybe I should say would not, see. I believe that's one of the greatest curses of sin that you and I can know today. Not only the reality of it in our lives, because as Billy pointed out this morning in Romans 3, Paul says, beyond any shadow of a doubt, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, verse 23. But when we're not even aware of our sin or of the seriousness of our sin, that's even worse. Because we're not going to seek any help. We're not going to seek anyone who can help us with our sin problem if we don't acknowledge that there's a problem in the first place. L- let's make sure when we turn to John chapter 8 and we reread this story in the future if the Lord delays his return. And when we examine this biblical story, let's make sure that we walk away with the right takeaway. Only one person in that temple crowd was qualified to throw a, st- a stone at that woman that day. It was the only one who had never sinned. And he, don't miss this, neither condemned nor condoned her. I know that's not new information, but I really wanted to impress that on your heart this afternoon. Jesus, in his encounter with this woman and with those men who were her accusers, neither condemned nor condoned her. Most of us would have felt compelled in a situation like that to do one or the other to either put her in one category or the other. But Jesus was perfectly comfortable in doing absolutely neither of those things. He did not condone her conduct. The text makes that clear. He called her sin what it was. It was sin. And he challenged her to change her behavior and her lifestyle. And I don't have to tell you, that is the extreme position. He loved her too much to to sanction her self-destructive behavior in the name of compassion. And that's where our culture is right now, isn't it? It's so tolerant to the extreme of not willing to ever call sin, sin. Don't dare try to correct this woman. Don't dare try to set her on a better path because that's implying that she's not good enough the way she is. And it's also implying that you think that you're better than she is. That's what our culture tells you. But that's not the way Jesus reacted to this woman nor her situation. So neither did he condemn her. He did not condone her sin, go and sin no more. Leave your sinful lifestyle, one version says, but he didn't condemn her either. He knew that she had made some sorry choices, that she had taken some seriously wrong turns, but he also knew that her life was an unfinished story. So what he offered her that day is what he offers us today. Another chance, a fresh start. Now, you've probably already discovered it, but in case you haven't, I have to make a confession. I exercise considerable literary license in the relating of this story at the beginning of the lesson. The truth is, we don't know what this lady did after her encounter with Jesus that day. He had urged her, again, King James Version says, to go and sin no more or to leave your life of sin, but she, did she? Well, I don't know, and you don't know for the simple reason that the bible does not tell us but i do know i do know that she could have because god never tells us to do the impossible the point is she could have changed if she wanted to and so can i and so can you because your life like hers is an unfinished story and folks when you are ready to write the next chapter he has a fresh page for you. Bring Christ to your broken life, so marred by sin, he will create a you, make whole again. If that's what you need to do today, we bid you come while we stand, while we sing.